0: It was one of the most epic battles in all history. Now, if you've hung around me long enough, you know I like history and I like all of that stuff about battles and war. But this one was one of the most epic ones, and I'll bet you almost no one in this room has ever heard of it. You had the two opposing armies facing each other. One was standing for justice and uh, for their honor, to protect their land, to save their people, uh, because the opposing army that was attacking them was coming in to enslave them, to take everything they had to destroy their land and everything they stood for. The battle occurred on a rainy Saturday morning And the good guys, as we'll know them, were surrounded on all sides. They were at the bottom of a canyon. They were outnumbered. And their enemy was holding the high ground and had many, many more soldiers. It was looking bad, and nobody thought that the uh, good guys would win, but they had to stand and fight. This day would decide everything for them. But then, when all hope seemed lost, G.I. Joe and Luke Skywalker snuck around the back while Superman flew overhead and grabbed the Cobra Commander and threw him down into the valley, thus winning the battle. My friend Carrie and I were playing at, oh, about nine or ten years old. We had all of our action figures, not just the G.I. Joes, because back then you could have the G.I. Joes and the Star Wars and the superheroes. They were all the same size. So you could bring them all into the one big epic battle. What a great way to spend a rainy day. Told you, you probably hadn't heard about that battle before. See, it's great stuff. Good storytelling, good versus evil, right versus wrong The fate of all civilization all hinged in the balance of this one epic battle. I will say that as a dad, it's fun watching my son and my little girl play. Brings me back to those times, those simple stories of good and bad, right and wrong. For most kids, they're really... It really intrigues them, that idea. It just comes naturally to us, the the intrigue over right and wrong and good and bad. And let's be honest, it's not just kids that like that stuff. We've had this series of movies come out over the last 10 or 12 years or however many, the whole Marvel superhero series that came up with Endgame and all of this big ultimate good versus evil battle, and it wasn't just the kids going to the theater. In fact, if you went to the theaters, An awful lot of adults there to see these movies. I'm not judging. It's good stuff. Good storytelling. There's something in us that's called to that idea of good versus evil. Of of the good guys winning the battle and saving the day. All the best movies have that stuff. But it's not just children's games and it's not just movies. Why, two days ago, we celebrated the anniversary. Celebrate, I'm not so sure, is the right word here. We remembered the anniversary of the worst terrorist attack on U.S. soil in our history, 9-11. I posted a question on the church uh, website page or the church Facebook page and asked, where were you? What were you doing? What was going on? And people answered, you remember, don't you? Right versus wrong, good versus evil. We remember. That day, the thing that most got me, that came out over time and later as the stories were told of what was going on, the one singular moment that just really grabs my heart is that when the first tower fell, firefighters, still turned and ran up the stairs of the second tower, trying to save as many people as they could. They knew that these buildings could fall and probably would fall from this terrible damage, and they ran up the stairs to save more people. 351 firefighters and paramedics, 61 police officers died that day. Saving others. In my lifetime, I think it's probably the most clearest presentation of good versus evil, right versus wrong, all of the things that we respect of honor, justice, sacrifice on one side versus the evil that mankind can do on the other side. Some of you are old enough to remember World War II. I would probably place that in the same category where you could see on our earth what it looks like when good guys stand up to bad guys. It's why Eisenhower sent every troop who was possibly available from the front lines through the camps to see what Germany had done, to see this is what we fight for. Good versus evil, right versus wrong. The theme of the good guys running into danger to save those who can be saved is something that touches our hearts. And it goes along with the series and with the step we are in the series that we're going through. We're going through a series called As You Are. And some of you have already heard this little bit. So I just ask you to be patient and try and catch the idea as we go with it. Because we're repeating it every time. Because it really, really matters. It's an idea that I want us all to catch. And it's the idea of church as an AA or celebrate recovery meeting. You see, when I was in Bible college, one of the requirements that I had to do for one of my counseling classes was to attend an AA meeting. And since then, I've had opportunities to go to others. In fact, recently, a couple of friends invited me along to go to a Celebrate Recovery meeting as they dealt with issues in their lives. And the whole idea of AA, the 12-step program, Celebrate Recovery, has really intrigued me from early on. It's the idea that maybe this is what church ought to be like. You see, you can come in to a 12-step program meeting stumbling drunk. You can come in coming down off that most recent high. When you walk in the door, they don't shame you. They say, welcome, brother. Welcome, sister. Come on in. They greet you. They love on you. They welcome you. Why? Because everybody in those meetings knows what it's like to have walked through the hell that you're walking through right now. And when you've been sober for 24 hours, they give you a little chip and said, hey, good job, 24 hours sober. And they do that again and again and again at two days, three days, four days, a week, at a month, a year, at 18 months, on and on and on. And they reward you for keeping in the right direction, for fighting those demons in your life. And you can be sober for 20, 30 years. And then one day your life falls apart. Something happens and goes wrong. And you wreck everything. You fall off the wagon. And when you come in the next day, you know what they don't do? They don't shame you. They say, welcome home, brother. Welcome back, sister. Here's your 24-hour coin. Glad you're here. That's What church ought to be like. That's what I would love to see us as Campbell Community Church be. Recognizing that the people of this world, every single one of us struggles. We fight our battles. We fight alone most of the time. Most of the people that you know in your lives are fighting some dreadful, awful battle of their own. And they're the only ones that know about it. They need a place. They need a people who welcome them, who recognize that they're struggling and they're hurting. They're caught in sin. They're caught in their troubles, and they need a place. They need a people. They need a message of hope, and that's what we bring. So as we've talked through this series and talked through the steps, we're considering it in line of addictions, in line of struggles, but it's not just these things. There are people that you know in your life that have been sexually abused, physically abused. There are people who have been pushed down and crushed. We're here for them too. There are people in your lives that are struggling with things that you can't even fathom. We're here for them too. So when we look at these steps and we're talking about addictions and struggles, it all comes down to ultimately the issue of sin, the brokenness of our world, the things that we do that we choose to do and the things that are done to us, the things that we can't help. All of these things are together in this ball that we're talking about here in these 12 steps. So we started this series just as a review. We started it. With step one, which is we admitted we're powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors and that our lives have become unmanageable. You see, they, st- they say that as a cliche. The first step is you admitting you have a problem. Well, that's true. Because if you don't recognize that you've got issues in your life, you can't even begin to hope to work on them. And step two is we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That power is God. If you could fix the problems in your life all by yourself, you wouldn't need God. You wouldn't need other people. I haven't met the person that can fix their lives by themselves yet, by the way. In fact, it's generally the person who's trying the hardest to fix things them, them, to fix the things by themselves that are struggling the most. It's called white knuckling. I can hold it straight if I just try hard enough. I can hold on, and then there won't be any more problems. The problem is this white knuckling doesn't work. Because at our heart, we are all broken. That is a truth that we recognize as Christians. We are all broken, every person in this world, and we need the gospel of Jesus. We need God to save us. Step three is we made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to God. Whoa, that's hard to do. That's a scary thing to say God can help. God can take it. Step four is we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. That's hard too, to look into your own life and be honest about the things that you do, you're responsible for, the things that have been done to you, the long history, the litany of things. This is not the point of this is not to dwell in the crap to walk through the mud and bathe in it. The point is to begin to identify, look, this is the stuff that where I'm broken the most and I need the most help. And here's a little hint, by the way. Whatever you're hurt at the most, when you start this journey, you have no idea. You can be a Christian for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and you're still going to find things that you need to work on in your life. And it may be other things than you started with, but there will still be things there, and we have to make that fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Steps five and six we did together. We talked about how we admitted to God and to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs, and we were entirely ready for God to take those defects out. That's scary to take that list you just made and go, God. I know you already knew, but I haven't really talked to you about it. This is me. And it's also hard to talk to someone else in your life. Now, I'm not talking about standing up here at the podium and saying, okay, church, this is the list of things that I've done wrong. No, I'm saying you find a mentor, you find a sponsor, you find someone to disciple you to help you walk through these things, to help hold you accountable. And by the way, that word accountable, as we've discussed, is a loaded word. Some people have used that word for abuse. That's not what we're talking about either. We're talking about someone who'll walk alongside you, someone who's maybe two steps ahead of you, maybe even a step and a half. And they say, come on, walk with me. And maybe, just maybe, you're helping them in whatever step that they're working on too. We humbly ask God to remove all of our shortcomings. Step seven, step eight and nine, then we begin to start to do something about it. We make a list of all the persons we'd harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. And step nine is we do make those amends wherever it's safe to do so. There are people in your life where it's just not safe to go back to and deal with. But whenever possible, wherever possible, you begin to fix things. You go to them. Whether you wronged them or they wronged you, as a Christian, our calling is to go to them. Step 10, we continue to make that personal inventory. And when we're wrong, we promptly admit it. That's called maturing. That, that, that's the point where you start to take this stuff into your life and you begin doing it as a part of who you are and what you live. Step 11 we covered last week. We sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. To really spend time with God. And I warned you last week, that's a scary thing to do because that will just downright mess up your life. All those things that you thought you had all your ducks in a row and your dominoes set up a certain way, you start spending time with God and he's going to mess it all up. For the good. That brings us to step 12. Step 12 is what we're going through today. It says, having had a spiritual experience as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to others and practice these principles in all our affairs. We carry this message to others because we've been through hell ourselves. If you've been around this planet long enough, you've counted enough birthdays on the calendar. You've lived through some stuff. Yes. You've done some things wrong. Yes. You've broken some relationships. Yes. You've hurt others and others have hurt you. Yes. Yes. Just imagine if you could take and help someone not make some of those same mistakes. I think this is probably the biggest frustration of getting older. Because you see people going back and doing the same dumb stuff you did and you want to say, stop! Occasionally they listen. Most of the time they make their own mistakes and screw them up. When you've been through hell... In your life, you know enough to be scared of hell and death. And you know enough and hopefully have a heart to save others. Up here at uh, Indian School and 35th Avenue area is a place called the Dream Center. They help homeless people, they help addicts. And on the top floor of this place that they have, They help primarily women who've been sexually trafficked. Who've been taken into prostitution often uh, not of their own choosing, but through abuse and through people taking control of their lives, people trafficking them. And you know who goes out and saves them? Former prostitutes. They have a whole team of people. Now, not all of them were, but enough of them were go out and they take roses and they give these roses out to women on the street. Women who've lost the idea of what love is because it's been stolen from them. Women who don't feel like they can be saved because they don't feel worth saving. And they give them a rose and tell them they're beautiful. And on that rose is a phone number they can call so that if their their, uh, pimp is watching. They know they've got a number that they can call later and they don't have to worry about being physically abused because they try to get away then. But they have a team that will go out and rescue these ladies and enough of the women on that team are former prostitutes themselves. You see, they've been through hell. And they want to go back and save others. That's the good versus evil, the right versus wrong. It's the alcoholic who says, I've been a drunk all my life. I finally got free. I want to go tell others. That's the guy who acts as a sponsor in AA. He wants to help other guys break free of this. That's the vision for us as Christians. To be that good guy. To be the heroine in the story that goes back and saves others from hell because they've been there themselves. You see, I'm not making this up out of thin air. The idea is there in the Bible. In Luke 6:40, Jesus says a disciple is not above his teacher, but when he's fully trained, he'll be like his teacher. Who's our teacher? Jesus. We want to be like that guy. So what's he look like? Jesus saved people. Jesus hung out with those people that the religious people didn't approve of or didn't like. Jesus went to the broken and the hurting. We as disciples of his are supposed to look like him. Guess that, what that means for us? We are supposed to go out and save, to bring others to Christ, to bring others to the peace and the gospel message that we know. And we're not supposed to wait till we already look like the teacher. How did Jesus teach his disciples? He sent them out when they weren't ready. He put them to work doing his work when they didn't know how to do it. He took his disciples and put them in situations and then came and asked them afterwards. How'd you deal with that? Let's talk through. What'd you learn? You don't wait till you're perfect to go back and rescue people. You are two steps down that road. You go back and rescue people. A student looks like his teacher and our teacher looks like an action figure, a superhero. He's going out to save the day. It says having some success, we are called to help others to know the hope that we have in Christ. The important message here is that we don't wait till we have it perfectly because we never will. We get started helping others as soon as it's healthy to do so. So if you're that alcoholic and you're one day sober, I'm not sending you back in the bar to go rescue people. But as you begin down that path, I'm going to say, you know what? It's time. There's a point in time where your sponsor is going to say, okay, We need to go save someone else. You've got a friend who's an alcoholic. I think you need to go talk to him. Now, don't go have a beer with him to talk to him. But I think you need to go talk to him. And when you go talk to him, you come back, you talk to your sponsor, and your sponsor says, hey, what happened? How'd it go? What'd you say? What'd he say? How'd it work out? How can we go back and make another attempt if need be? How can we invite him into a meeting? same thing is true as a Christian, as a believer. When you come to Christ, I may not send you out the next day as your pastor and go, okay, I think you need to go back with those friends that you were hanging out that were doing all this stuff. No, I'm going to work with you a little bit. We're going to talk through. We're going to teach. We're going to learn what it looks like to be a Christian, what Jesus did, what he taught us to do. And there's going to be a point as your pastor, I'm going to say, okay, it's time. And it's not going to be as far down the road as you might think. Calling is there to go and rescue. And if you've been sitting in church for 30 years or 50 years and this is your life, are you remembering that that's your job to go out and rescue others to save? Are you remembering your calling to be a superhero, an action figure, someone who does the work of his teacher? Jesus was accused. Of hanging out with those people. By the religious people. The outcasts. The broken. The sinners. I'm going to tell you as Christians. We are not called to look like cloistered monks. Or distant nuns. Or people who live off in a little community by ourselves. No. We're warriors. We're paramedics. We're doctors and nurses. Our calling is to go out and help bring people to salvation to help fix people and it's not our job to do that all by ourselves but we're called to go out to get them to save them to ride on the ambulance to ride on the tank to get out and do you could be forgiven for thinking that Christianity is just about going to church or being saved or committees or services or boycotts of sinful things to save our good kids from the bad kids that's what the christianity that's been presented to our culture is, and we've kind of earned that a little bit. Maybe not each and every one of us, maybe not all the time, but culturally as a church, we've kind of earned that. We've made Christianity about what we can get. We can be saved. I can be saved. If I just say a little prayer and then I become a good little Christian who never does bad things. So I have to keep a happy smiley face on because I don't want you to know what I really am. I can't remove this mask that's on my face while I pretend to be good, while I say everything's fine in my life, because it's not. My name is Roger, and I'm a broken sinner. My name, my title is pastor, but what the heck does that mean? That just means you all pay me to go learn more about this Bible stuff and come back and tell you what I learned. It doesn't mean I'm perfect or any better than anybody else. Our faith cannot be reduced to a ledger like an accounting thing where we move things to the right column or the left column. Oh, she hasn't been in church for a while. Hmm, This little mark here. Oh, he, he's a big tither. We should, be, oh, we should definitely give him some credit there. No. We are all broken people who are called to be superheroes and action figures. Luke 15 tells of our teacher Jesus. He was teaching people. Oh, yeah. Remember those people? Those sinners, those broken people. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, looked on and criticized him. Oh, look who he hangs out with. He even eats with sinners. That guy. Jesus didn't respond by yelling at even them. Now, sometimes he got pretty rough with them. But in this one, he just told a story. He told a story of a shepherd who had 100 sheep and one of them got missing and he leaves 99 sheep over here and goes out into open country looking for that one because he values that one so much. And as a pastor, I like this part of the story. He immediately starts into another story. I know why he did because sometimes you look out and you're like, nobody got that one. I need a better analogy. She tells you another story about this woman who has ten silver coins. This poor lady, that's all she's got, and she loses one silver coin. And she leaves the other nine over here, and she goes and looks and sweeps the house and lifts the rugs and gets over everything and under everything to find that missing one. And they still didn't really get it. Say, tell us another story. The prodigal son. Perhaps you've heard that one. We're not going to preach the whole story today. But the idea of this son is a real screw up. Who takes his inheritance early. Demands it from his father. Goes off into a distant country and does all this wrong stuff. And finally, when he's screwed everything up. And he's as broken as he could possibly be. He comes back home. And his dad immediately goes, you awful. No, he doesn't. Oops. No, the story is his dad runs to him. His dad prepares a big feast and takes care of him. Sound like that AA thing? Sound like those 12 steps? If you turn back, you're welcomed in. We, you and I, are called to save others. To run into that fire. To run up the stairs of the burning building. We're called to go out into hell to save people. Because that's what our teacher does. That 12 step says, having had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps, we try to carry the message to others, to practice these principles in all our affairs. These practical principles of generosity and hospitality, of inviting other people in, of feeding, of giving, and healing, those are the things that our teacher did, and that's what we're called to do. These practical principles of intentional and bold outreach We're too darn scared to share about Jesus. We can't be afraid to talk to people who aren't Christians and say we are. We can't be afraid to bring this subject up, to broach the idea. We can't be afraid or put off the idea of inviting people into church or into a Bible study. Because that's how we help save them. That's how we rescue them. That's how we get them to hear that message. That maybe will change their life. And maybe they go out and rescue others also. You've got to pray for them. And you've got to say to them. You, just, you can't keep it on this side here. You got to do both. This is not a measurement thing. This is not like a tick mark thing. Where I'm going to say. Uh, you haven't brought people into church in a long time. No. This is calling you to your calling that God has for you to go out and to rescue others. Keep in mind the cool thing that it says there as Jesus is telling those stories. He says, he says there's a celebration in heaven for every sinner who repents. There's a party throne for everybody who turns to God. You go to an AA meeting or celebrate recovery meeting. And what happens during the part where they celebrate that stuff? They give out the chips and they say, okay, who's who's one day sober? And that person gets up scared to death. Maybe they haven't. They've been sober for a couple days, but they've been scared. But they finally stand up in a meeting and say, I've been sober for a day. And everybody cheers. They clap. They hug them. They pat them on the back. There's a party when someone is rescued. When we were children, we played with action figures and superheroes. We read the stories. We watched the movies. Myself, just like many of you. Now we're adults and we're following Jesus. And we're called to be disciples who look like our Jesus. We're called to be the action heroes, the action figures and superheroes to comfort the hurting, to rescue the lost, and to save the broken. It's our calling. I said about it, God bless.